Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role for her portrayal of a mother superior trying desperately to maintain decorum in a troubled situation, Anne Bancroft in Agnes of God. As Celie, who survived her childhood and a bad marriage and finally finds freedom and herself, Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. As the strong-willed, legendary country singer Patsy Cline, Jessica Lange in Sweet Dreams. As an elderly woman determined to get back to her childhood home, Geraldine Page in A Trip to Bonneville. As a passionate woman who braves a new world to create a new life for herself, Meryl Streep in Out of Africa. I consider this woman the greatest actress in the English language. The winner is Geraldine Page in a trip to Bonneville. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1986 Academy Award Ceremony Year win for Geraldine Page for the movie The Trip to Bountiful. This is a very interesting year that I've been waiting to do for a very long time because this is a controversial year. Uh, not just because of the fact that everyone said that Whoopi should have won for The Color Purple or Meryl Streep for Out of Africa. You have a lot of really interesting performances here. Uh, you also have, you know, um, Anne Bancroft and Agnes of God, which is actually a role that Geraldine Page played um, on Broadway and was nominated for a bunch of Tonys. So it was just weird that she didn't land that role. We're going to get into all of that. There's lots to discuss. Uh, but very quickly, uh, the 1986 Academy Awards. So Best Actor went to William Hurt for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Best Supporting Actor went to Don Ameche, which I very likely am pronouncing very wrong for the movie Cocoon. Best Supporting Actress went to Angelica Houston, Angelica Houston for Pritzi's Honors, which is actually why Oprah Winfrey never had her on her show. Fun fact. Best Director went to Sidney Pollack for Out of Africa, and Best Picture went to Out of Africa. Today, I am joined by a fellow comedian and friend. I'm so happy that he was able to do this because it's always a treat working with him. Uh, his album, his comedy album called Awkwarder, was actually nominated for a Juno, which anybody else in the world outside of Canada, if you don't know what Juno is, it's like the Grammys in Canada. Uh, and he should be very proud of that because it's a very amazing album. It's Mace Galoni. Hi, Mace. Hello. Thank you very much for that very nice intro. Um, I appreciate that. I hate my own album names. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two and they're both, both of the names, when I think about them or have to say them to someone else or I hear someone else say them, I'm like, what was I thinking? No, if anything, if you have like regret and you're saying that you hate them, then that makes it awkward and then it adds to the brand of awkwarder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess that's true. It's a self-fulfilling title in that every time someone says it, they're like, ugh. <laughs> Stumbles. Yeah, anyways. But thank well, you. I, I, I love that. And it's like, it reminds me of like Maria Bamford on her latest album. She was talking about how like she had like a tremor in her hand and people were like, you need to medicate yourself to make me feel more comfortable. And then she <laughs> says, no, weakness is the brand. And you're like, that's, that's perfect. So awkwarder is chef's kiss. That's perfect. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for um, having me. I'm excited to do this. No, I'm so glad that you were able to do this. I know that this is kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot to ask. It's five <laughs> movies. 
Um, and I would love to make this a weekly podcast, but for the love of God, like I have a life to live. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm very grateful that you were able to make the time for this. Whenever I bring guests onto the show, I always like to ask why they selected a specific year. So mm-hmm. was there any particular reason why you picked Geraldine Page? Uh, <laughs> well, it was a process of elimination because okay. I initially suggested, um, I think it was 2018 or something. I, I was looking at the um, Wikipedia listing of the of like the best actress, best actress nominees, and the years were off. It was like one year behind or something like that, or one year ahead. Right. And so when I saw that 2018, I thought with um three bo- billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, when I thought that was available, I was like, perfect. That's the year for me because. Here's the thing, Kyle. I do not watch a lot of movies. I'm very (laughs) uncultured. I like pretty much exclusively watch Marvel movies. And but Three Billboards was one that I loved when I saw it. And I I I always felt like it was it has a very superhero movie vibe to it. Like the main character has this sort of like superhero origin story, and then she has a mission, and I love it. But anyways, I was wrong. That was taken. (laughs) So then I was I, I was in the middle of something. I forget what I was doing, but I was trying to scroll through and quickly get you another year. And so I didn't want to risk getting it wrong again. And then I then I found the year that has um, aliens. <laughs> and when I sent you 1986, that's the year <laughs> I thought I was picking because I still didn't realize that it was like a year ahead or behind or whatever it is. Yeah, and no. And also, yeah. not only that, I when I picked it because of Aliens, I also thought it was the movie Signs. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just so many mistakes in a row. And then you're like, oh, Geraldine Page? Great. And it's like, okay, well, that's the year we're doing. <laughs> so you were very misinformed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I love listening to like a straight guy stumble through this world. This is so fun for me. Like. <laughs> Like I like Marvel movies. It's like okay, yeah, that's so cute. I I I love that. And also, uh, I think we actually already did. That was um, Children of the Lesser God. Mar- Marley Matlin was the year with Aliens, and that episode was with Oliver George, and he actually picked Sigourney, um, and I oh, actually nice. picked uh, Marley Matlin for it. And um, what you're talking about, where it's like the year before. <laughs> so there are purists that say that, like, so for 2022, mm-hmm. Jessica Lang won the Oscar for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. But right. then the like movie aficionados would say that she was the best actress of 2021. Right. But for me, this is like a podcast about the Oscars. So I go by this ceremony year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes total sense. Yeah, I, uh, but that's, well, I'm sorry that, I mean, this is quite a year to be (laughs) caught off guard by, I'll be honest with you, because some of these movies were pretty painful, um, (laughs) and feel free, like, don't hold back, like, if you detest anything, I love to hear that perspective, um, Mm -hmm. But let's let's just jump right in. So these, this good. is in no particular order. We will discuss the winner last, but otherwise, this is in no particular order. This is usually just the order that I watch it in. So um, let's talk about uh, Jessica Lange and the movie Sweet Dreams. So at this point, uh, Jessica Lange had been nominated for two or three Oscars, and she had already won Best Supporting Actress for the movie Tootsie. So for her to win another Oscar so soon, it was very, very unlikely. Mm-hmm. And 
in the movie Sweet Dreams, um, she is portraying uh, country singer Patsy Cline. And if you had previously, anybody listening to this podcast, listened to the episode when we discussed the coal miner's daughter discussing Loretta Lynn, uh, played by Sissy Spacek, the relationship between Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn was already kind of covered in The Coal Miner's Daughter, which is why the relationship in Sweet Dreams between Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline was actually completely omitted, and they were mostly just focusing on Patsy Cline and her husband, Ed Harris, uh, or Charlie Dick in the movie. Uh, just before we do get into the movie, though, and discuss uh, Sweet Dreams, I have to say seeing a young Ed Harris is jarring because <laughs> I assumed that he just appeared in this world fully formed wearing a French beret on the set of The Truman Show. <laughs> yeah, he de- it definitely looks so weird seeing him young, but he also doesn't look that young. He looks like like his skin looks, you know, cinched a bit more, but he still has such old man bones. Yes. Well, that's the thing is during like people that grew, I I always say that like the 1960s was one giant cup of whiskey and the 1970s was just one giant cigarette. So it's like coming out of the 80s, like, yeah, like you're going to look reptilian. like. Right? I know exactly what you're saying. That There was this thing where, like, people in their 20s in the 80s looked like they were in their 40s. Yeah. And, and in a few of these movies, they, like, had to age people. Like, that was one where it sort of they aged a little bit as the years went on. And same with mm-hmm. the, in the color purple. And it's, like, it's weird to see them look, like, think they're already old and then realize <laughs> that they're supposed to age up from that. And it's like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize how young they were supposed to be before. 100%. Or maybe they didn't put any makeup on them that day. And they were like, <laughs> this is the age to look, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so just a couple of quick facts about sweet dreams. So Charlie asks what she has done all day. And she says that I've been sipping champagne with Kirk Douglas <laughs> Um, the line was actually, I've been sipping champagne all day with Rock Hudson, but at the time it was revealed that he had AIDS and they found that that reference would have been too distracting. So they ad-libbed it afterward to Kirk Douglas, um, because at the time, like Rock Hudson was the first celebrity that anybody knew to have AIDS. And then the severity of the global pandemic of AIDS, like became a lot more serious, uh, this is one of three, which actually I think it's actually one of four now, film roles that Meryl Streep was turned down for. And Jessica Lang says that this is the most fun that she's ever had making a film. So had you seen Sweet Dreams before? I'm assuming no, but have you? And uh, what did you think about it? And what did you think about Jessica Lang as, um, as uh, oh my God, as Patsy Cline? <laughs> Uh, so no, I had never seen it, never heard of it, didn't know who Patsy Cline was, didn't know that these were real people um, <laughs> until like halfway through at some point, I think I like Googled it to just sort of like, you know, read the synopsis just to make sure I was following along correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think she was great as it's so many of these movies were just like just a woman living a hard life. Yes. <laughs> and it's just so not what I usually watch movies for. Like, I just usually want to see Spider-Man jumping around. And uh, sure. so I was like, so it took me, it, there was a, there was, for each of them, I think there was a slow build for me where I, at some point I was hooked, but it was, uh, I'd be, for them, for a good, 
you know, 15, 20 minutes of the beginning, I was just like, oh man, this is, this lady's got it tough. Like Mm -hmm. just, you know, she, uh, she's charming. She's very charming, but, um, immediately like the Charlie Dick character is such an asshole and it's like kicking her table and calling her ugly. He's like an incel on yeah. the DMs being like, whatever you're ugly anyways. But yeah, it's just crazy. There was so much domestic violence in film that was ex- so acceptable where it was like, yeah, like that's just a troubled marriage is just <laughs> physical abuse. Like, of course. And I think that, if you like again like i was i was mentioning earlier like in the coal miner's daughter you know that you have a lot of physical abuse in that and I, I guess what in like the 1930s and 40s that was just okay i'm not sure but this is certainly something that is a recurring theme in a lot of these like biopics that take place in the 30s 40s mm-hmm. um compliments to jessica lang i think that she has the voice and the accent down um the beginning of the movie you know you see her as kind of a sympathetic character, even though she basically just wants to leave her husband because he's boring and (laughs) he doesn't really talk much. And you're like, okay, like that's not really a reason to, but you can see that she longs for like a more interesting life and you're certainly rooting for her, but you know, cut to 1958. She, is settled into her career and she's also settled into like an Annie haircut yeah. <laughs> very nicely. She's touring and stuff like that. And also compliments to Jessica Lang. She is lip syncing for her life in this movie. That's obviously not her singing. It's the recording of Patsy Cline and she is lip syncing for her life. Shantae, she stays. Um, absolutely. I think that she absolutely nails the voice. I think that she brings the character to life very, very well, makes it very compelling but for the love of God, like the relationship between her and Charlie and just the physical abuse and her going back to him. And then she gets into a car accident and then more physical abuse. And then she goes back to him and then physical abuse. And then she's not with him anymore. And then she dies. It was just constant trauma and, and hardship over and over and over and over. It was like, okay, I need to come up for air at some point. And like, okay, so I just saw the movie Elvis. Oh, my God. Loved it. 10 out of 10. Austin really? Butler deserves an Oscar for it. So good. That is how you do a musical biopic. I think that this movie had a lot of potential, but I think that the reason that, like, Jessica Lang was the only thing that was singled out just for acting, mm-hmm. I understand that because as a movie, it's kind of boring. It is, yeah, and there's, like, no story arc, in my opinion. Like, it's just, like, mm-hmm. woman can sing has hard life dies There's yeah <laughs> nothing else and like they I, oh one other thing about her lip syncing by the way I, the version i watched i just watched it on youtube like they had the whole movie on youtube and uh i didn't realize until quite a while in that the i don't know how this happened i don't know if it's something they put in to like avoid copyright uh you know detection or something but it had like a wobble to it at certain points and it would get slightly distorted. And there was a couple times early on when she's singing and because of the wobble, it looks like her jaw detaches from her face <laughs> and it's like stretched so much that it looks like a, like Jim Carrey character doing. Like, <laughs> so the lip syncing, I wasn't as impressed by until I realized the, uh, what was happening, but. Like she went full like Vecna from Stranger Things, unhinged her jaw and consumed the soul of the operating, whoever was operating the camera, just 
yeah, yeah, it's like no wonder why she's being punished so much. She's a demon. <laughs> I mean, I think what I really enjoyed about the way that Jessica Lang played it is she had such a sense of humor. Like she was always kind yeah. of laughing at everything. Like when she realizes that she's pregnant and she talks about it and then he kind of seems angry about it and then they're just laughing. Mm-hmm. Like I love the way that she always kept things very, very light and it made her very, very kind of cute and charming because, you know, myself personally, like I tend to find the humor and everything. And I laugh at maybe inappropriate times because it's kind of my defense Mm -hmm. mechanism. But I just thought for me, that was something um, very, very charming. Yeah. I think uh, just seeing Ed Harris, I think that there was too much Ed Harris in the movie. I I wanted it to focus more on Patsy Cline. Mm. Um, I think her best acting in the movie is when she's fighting with him, um, especially after the carnival, when she gets a ride home from that guy in the motorcycle. And then like, they're screaming at each other. Really great react reactionary acting going on. And then once again, it gets like very domestic violence-y. Um, I wish it was more about the music, less about her marriage. Overall, really great performance, but not a movie that I would revisit. No, yeah, I am I'm with you on that. Um also another funny part, whenever she gets her all those scars after the car accident on her forehead. And they're like, oh, do you, do you want to get plastic surgery? And she's like, hell yeah, I want to get plastic <laughs> surgery. She's like, I'm not living with this. I'm like, just the way that she had sort of a sense of humor and she didn't really take herself too seriously. I just, I really liked the way that Jessica Lange played Patsy Cline and uh, really wonderful performance in, in kind of a boring movie. Yeah, yeah. And that, that sense of humor is like, you're right. That's That, I guess, is what was so charming about her. Because like even, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're so right that she's like, why she leaves her husband is such a, dog shit reason because he was just like <laughs> building trains or something i don't know what he was doing when she he like, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right yeah i feel like he was like painting warhammer figurines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if anybody on this podcast would get a warhammer reference <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe but for any their little figurines it's almost like think of world of warcraft but without the computer <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and uh and yeah, but she's but she's immediately so funny about it when she comes home and is like joking about it that you're like, all right, good for her. Yeah, I I think so. So another great performance by Jessica Lang. I think that this completes my book of Jessica Lang. And on this podcast, I think I've seen all of her nominated performances. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. So good job, Jessica Lang. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on? Um. No, I think that I think we covered it. I think uh, I, I oh, I will say that I feel like the the plane. Well, I don't know. We could do spoilers. I'm guessing, right? Like, oh my! Oh yeah, they've had 30 years to watch this. Literally, <laughs> I know what you're about to say. I know exactly what you're about to say. Please say it. <laughs> the, the plane, the plane crash scene. That is, like, I feel like that was bad acting. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't buy. It was, it was comedy. Let's yeah. let's keep it real. It was comedy. It was so. Yeah, it was like an SNL sketch of a, of a plane crash. Like, and they, they, I mean, oh. it looked like a toy plane, yeah. like hitting the side of a concrete wall. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, like a graphic in a YouTube video, like a like a it's just a fake explosion <laughs> you put in with, you know, After Effects. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was bad, and their 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 uh, acting during it was bad. I felt like they did not react how you would actually react in a plane crash. And then also when the plane is like going down 
And then he, they're like scared and he's like trying to get the, the propeller back working. And then he does. And then they're, they level out and they're, they're fine again. Everyone's like partying and they're like hitting him. Which are going to be like, great shit, but he's still flying a plane. I know. There, there's. I feel like Patsy Cline from heaven or hell is watching, literally being like, "Wow, that's embarrassing. That is not what happens." <laughs> you know. Um, okay. Um, so let's talk about Anne Bancroft in the movie Agnes of God. I'll be honest with you. I was a little surprised that her just her acting was singled out in this movie. I know that Meg Tilly, who was Agnes, the like essentially stigmata at one point um, was nominated for best supporting actress. She actually won the golden globe. Um, This role uh, of mother Miriam Ruth was offered to Geraldine uh, uh, was sorry, was, was originated on Broadway by Geraldine page. She was nominated for the Tony uh, and she lost, but she had done this performance 599 times on Broadway. And then, you know, it went to Anne Bancroft, who was nominated, but then Geraldine Page won an Oscar over her. So I guess whatever. Um, the real life Jane uh, Fonda quit smoking 10 years prior. And in this movie, because her character is a chain smoker, she only smoked reed cigarettes, which I suppose is non-toxic and easier to smoke if you have to. And Anne Bancroft wanted people to believe after people saw this movie that people who believe in God uh, should think again. And people who don't believe in God should think again as well. I don't think that that was very effective maybe for the time it was. Right. um, Because of course the world was much more religious during this time. Uh, Very quickly, quick synopsis, Agnes of God uh, when a naive novice nun, this is Agnes, is discovered with a dead newborn that she strangled and threw in the garbage, in her convent quarters, a court-appointed psychiatrist, Jane Fonda, investigates her case. And and Bancroft is like the mother, like Mother Miriam Ruth of the convent. And basically, she represents the faith of the story. And then Jane Fonda represents like the... I don't know how to say this without sounding anti-religion, but the like logic of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like she, she's the science of the story. Let's go. go let's go with science. Not lo- let's go with science. Cause I don't want to offend anybody, <laughs> but let's, let's just go with science. But basically, um, Anne Bancroft being singled out for a lead, um, nomination for this i will be honest with you i find it a little confusing i don't really know if there was a lot there for Anne bancroft to work with other than to have conflict with jane fonda's character which to me seems more like a supporting role rather than like a lead Mm -hmm. because without jane fonda there really isn't much of a conflict in the house um mother miriam ruth is like the cool nun because she used to smoke two packs a day. <laughs> she has kids that don't talk to her anymore. And then you're like, oh, so you have a troubled past. And then you turn to God to, to I don't know, to repent your sins. I'm not exactly sure. But then as the story progresses, you kind of find out that she had something to do with mm-hmm. the what they assume is an immaculate conception, but then you find out it's not an immaculate conception and that, or maybe it was, but then maybe it was like a 
a farm hand that had done it. It was very unclear. And then she actually admits to murdering her own baby. And by the way, this story takes place in Montreal, Quebec, which all of my family is from Quebec. I don't know any French people with that ZZZ, Zuzuzu accent. That is not how people in Quebec talk. In Quebec, people are like, Allo, how are you? What are you doing today? That's what Quebec sounds like. It's not like, Hello, professor, what are you doing? Like, that is not what people talk like in Quebec. It's a lot grosser. It also makes, and, it makes go more ahead. sense of why the smoking was necessary. <laughs> it's Montreal. Yeah. We, we can't, it's not a sci-fi. They're, they can't not smoke cigarettes. <laughs> okay. So if the 1970s was one giant cigarette, then the province of Quebec is one <laughs> giant cigarette. <laughs> Absolutely. But then when she admits to literally killing the baby, the judge who has spent so much time putting government appointed funds to investigating this case is like, oh, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> And then that's the end of the movie. And then she she exits on a really creepy, like, like you know, like in Freddy Krueger, there's like, one, two, Freddy's coming for it. Like this really weird lullaby that was really creepy into the microphone. That was the exit of the movie. Then we go to credits, and that's the end. It is the weirdest fucking movie I've seen in a long time. I don't, I do not care for this movie. Yeah. It was really painful to watch <laughs> and um i get meg tilly's supporting nomination because i really feel like she was carrying this picture and really jane fonda and bancroft really required jane fonda for anything to happen and i didn't enjoy their conflict very much and i just didn't enjoy han bancroft in this movie so what did you think mace no i agree with all of that it was uh it was insane i still don't okay uh, first of all, this was the last movie I watched, so it was on a little bit higher speed, <laughs> and uh, there was a little bit of jumping around just to make sure I, I tried to see as much of it as I could, but I w- got real confused. The stigmata part, is that yeah. just happening, or was that, like, is there, uh, like, <laughs> I don't get what the reality of this this movie is. <laughs> Like what are these crazy things happening? Are these biblical things happening? Is it, is it a, 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 a what's it called? Virgin birth? Like, yeah. Like immaculate conception. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, what, it, what are they saying that happened or it's just, just up in the air. I think that if she had the stigmata moments, then it was immaculate conception. Right. Because it's weird to have that element be there and then be like, yeah, but, you know, still that might not be God. Like that sort of, I thought, made all of the the crazy religious. uh, uh, um, Oh, wait, now I'm now I'm the one being anti-religion, calling us crazy (laughs) religious. I mean, I'm an atheist, but I think we're both pretty clear on this. I think it would be crazy for someone to be like you know, ask the deep questions that they wanted to with this. Like, oh, how'd you form your religious beliefs? Oh, Agnes of God. from Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, the, if there was stigmata, then like, I guess it was Immaculate Conception and I'm going to walk away from the movie thinking that. I don't think that this movie sparked enough of a, or I, I was not convinced enough for me to be like, oh, maybe it was Immaculate or maybe it was, God forbid, rape. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, but then if Agnes is so religious, why would she then strangle the miracle baby <laughs> when this is her whole faith? And she's like, oh, it was a mistake. Well, and then you're like, but 
they're God is perfect. So why would you kill? Like you just killed Jesus too. It's because she's it's because she's the cool nun, Kyle. She. But I mean, it doesn't. I'm so confused. Like yeah. <laughs> although Anne Bancroft, I did think it was really funny when she did have that sassy response because at one point Agnes did not want to eat. So then Anne Bancroft was like. She's like, Agnes is like, oh, I eat the communion wafer. And then Anne Bancroft is like, well, I don't think that the communion wafer has a daily recommendation of anything. And I'm like, oh, Agnes. I was like, Anne Bancroft is getting sassy. Like, <laughs> she had some like moments that were like kind of interesting. But overall, like for me, Anne Bancroft, it was just the conflict between her and Jane Fonda. That was really the only interesting part. But like, at one point she seemed like she was on Jane Fonda's side and then she wasn't because of God, but Mm -hmm. then she would kind of meet somewhere in the middle. And I suppose that's to demonstrate that she's complicated, but (laughs) I just, I'm not convinced. And I really just really was not impressed with, I I really am not understanding why she was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. It, that does seem weird. I feel like, I feel like uh, the, the attempt to have like religious weight, like philosophical substance here is probably mm. what what maybe uh pushed that over the edge but yeah the, the movie was not great and um and also like i'm i find not gr- i don't know if this is just because i didn't grow up with religion but like heavily catholic stuff like that is always the scariest thing to me like <laughs> like exorcism related you know like when the blood shut up on our hands like all of that freaks me out a lot and I, I don't know if that's the same if you grew up with it or not. Like maybe it's worse. I don't know. But yeah. Can... Oh well. Yeah. My family is very. I grew up religious, surprisingly, and like I remember I saw The Exorcist when I was nine years old because my sister's a bitch, and yeah. I remember. Oh my god! Were you it nine? traumatized me. Yeah, I had the it traumatized exact me. same situation, and it was my mom that suggested it (laughs) because my sister and like my I have two older sisters and and one of them was going to watch it with their friends and my mom was going out and I was going to go I think I was I don't know what I was probably gonna go play like action figures in my room and instead my mom's like no why don't you you know traumatize yourself with your sister (laughs) and I said it looks scary and my mom's like I watched it when I was eight it was no problem (laughs) and then it was a huge problem Kyle I didn't sleep (laughs) for like three years yeah i slept at the foot of my parents bed for like a month (laughs) so like yeah like i get it you don't show that to a child i thought it was real like it it genuinely genuinely traumatized me oh god yeah it's so so uh freaky like the even just the moment where the candle like you know uh like flames up like like they're just in the attic that is i remember that first moment and being like oh well i can never uh, be in the dark at all again in my life because there's yeah. ghosts in there. Oh yeah, no, I had nightmares of being possessed by the devil <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I thought I thought it was real. I thought it was real. My, but then you grow up and it's all it's all magical. Yeah, yeah. My very uh, very magical. My coping strategy when I saw that, like as you slept at the foot of your bed, what I did, I still slept in my room, but I I I truly did this like for about probably like six months or something. I would be paranoid. I would get like scared falling asleep, but I would feel better if other people were awake. Like if I knew other people were awake. Right. So I would check in my head. What I was doing was checking to see if everyone else, if anyone else was awake, but in actuality, what I was doing was waking everybody up by (laughs) yelling from my room. I'd go, mom, 
<laughs> right. My sister's name is Sage. I'm like, Sage. And I do that back and forth until one of them went, what? And they go, uh, never mind. And then try to fall asleep really quickly. <laughs> um, that would annoy the shit out of yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, now that I've watched Agnes of God, I might have to go back to that. <laughs> Sophie! Yeah. Can you check under the bed for Anne Bancroft? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, I truly have nothing else to yeah. add to this movie or this performance. I think could, if, we if can, you're good, we can move on. I think the world can move on from Agnes of God. Okay, good. So let's talk about, I'm actually excited to talk about this one. Let's talk about Out of Africa mm-hmm. uh, and the nomination is for Meryl Streep. In this movie, uh, she plays Karen Blixen. The movie should be called Karen Goes to Africa. <laughs> and uh, in this movie, she is a baroness. Um, it's loosely based on the 1937 autobiography book Out of Africa written by Isaac Dinson, which is Karen Blixen's uh, uh, alternate pen name or what do you call that? A ghost name or yeah, pseudonym or no pseudo name or Something whatever. Like that. Yeah. Um, and there's also this movie also references other material from the 1960s um, shadows on the grass. Uh, a couple other um, things about this movie in the, uh, uh, the town of Karen just outside of Nairobi is named after Karen Blixen and uh, everybody there is uh hates dealing with customer service situations in the town of Karen. Uh, Meryl (laughs) Streep developed her accent by listening to the recordings of Karen Blixen uh, and reading her own works. Um, The compass that Dennis gives to Karen Blixen was Finch Hatton's actual compass. Unfortunately, it was stolen after the scene was shot and it was never recovered. Sad. And uh, this story was actually originally planned as a project for Greta Garbo. um, And at various times, Orson Welles, David Lean, and Nicholas Rogue had tried to make the film about Karen Blixen. Fun fact, the director, um, Sidney Pollack, who uh, won Best Director and Best Picture, it plays uh, Will's father in Will and Grace. I always find that very random. That yeah, so random, but that is a fact. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, um, out of Africa it is uh, in the 20th century colonial Kenya. A Danish baroness plantation owner has a passionate love affair with a free spirited big game hunter, uh, played by Robert Redford. She's originally married to um, Broer, who's played by Klaus Maria Brandur, who is nominated for best supporting actor, and he. Uh, is also um, Danish and he has, uh, you know, wealth and status, but Karen has more of that. So it's really just a marriage of convenience. And then when they go to Africa, Meryl realizes that she loves him, that he's never there because he's always on safari with Robert Redford, a.k.a. Dennis. Mm -hmm. And then that puts a strain on their relationship. And there's really so I could go on forever (laughs) about all of like the beats of what this movie is about. It's kind of like an epic. Mm -hmm. It's almost three hours long. Mm But at the core of it, it's a love story. It's also a tragedy. She eventually falls in love with Robert Redford, and he does not believe in a monogamous relationship in the same way that in the way that Karen wants. And then in the end, he's going to fly her back to where she goes because her coffee uh, plantation is, I'm not sure exactly what happened. They said it was an act of God. It catches on fire, so she loses her crop. So she's lost everything. Now she has to go back to Denmark and 
Robert Redford's like, I'll fly you to wherever, whenever you catch your train. And then just before like he dies and then they never get to say goodbye. And then it's a sad ending. And of course, Meryl Streep loves this because she always shines in depressing, sad dramas. (laughs) This is certainly one of Meryl Streep's best performances. I think that it is, as I would describe, hilarical, which is not a word, but I say that it is hilarical that Meryl Streep in Out of Africa is in the same category as Anne Bancroft in Agnes of God, (laughs) where you just have this epic performance in this epic movie. It won Best Picture. uh, She's doing an accent. She's going through this whole Karen's full journey of her life. She's bringing so much depth and complexity to the character and frankly it's kind of a boring movie but she makes it interesting through her performance you you don't doubt for a second that she is karen blixen and it's just one of meryl's best and just seeing that she's in this category with some of the other nominees to me is what i describe as hilarical which is nonsense (laughs) it's it's nonsense to me like this is this is one of meryl's best and um, I've seen this movie before. I, I, it is a long movie, but to me, Meryl sells it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a world okay. you enjoy staying in. Exactly. And I, it's very beautiful, very picturesque. So anyway, so Mace, so have you seen this before? What did you think? What did you think of Meryl's performance? Did not see it before. Uh, I, I think I probably enjoyed this one the most. It felt the most... Okay. Um, Maybe that's when you, (laughs) I mean, it did win best picture, which is like very controversial. A lot of people were actually upset that this movie had won best picture. And frankly, like, I'm kind of surprised by that. I, I mean, I, I can understand why. I mean, maybe next to like the color purple or something. I'm not, I'm actually going to look up now who exactly the nominee, who the nominees were, but generally whenever best picture goes to a picture where it's, um, like a love story at the center mm. of it. It's usually like straight dudes that are really pissed off. So like Titanic, for example. <laughs> right. You know, and they'll like never let it go. Or like when, um, well, I was going to say uh, Shakespeare in Love, but yeah, Saving Private Ryan probably should have won that year. Yeah. But anyway, so um, yeah, so sorry. Uh, we were just, so you were, you were saying that this was the movie that you enjoyed the most. Yeah, I definitely think that I enjoyed this the most. And like, I, like uh, yeah, it, it was... I mean, to it's weird to me finding out that people were mad at this one because I feel like it's, I guess it's kind of the most fun one of the mix of movies that uh, mm. that we watched. And that's probably why I liked it. Like, there's still obviously sadness and tragedy, but for the most part, you enjoy the characters and uh, like Robert, the Robert Redford, the Dennis guy is the most charming man that is killing animals. Like yeah. <laughs> somehow plays that off as being just so lovable, but he's like the whole, he's like says something sly. And then, you know, he gets on a horse and goes and saws an elephant's tusk off. But yeah. Oh, I know. Still, he's still, you know, it, uh, it works for him. And, um, and I also thought that uh, like Meryl Streep's like, she had an element of the, the Patsy Klein character in her where she she had like funny joke like you know good little quips throughout uh tense moments like when they're like um when the war was going on and they're trying to get her into town or whatever it was and she didn't want to go and they're like women and children and she's like is that whatever she said is that two categories or one or 
whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, what's interesting about her character, so she she's many things. Like, she's hardworking, she's independent, she's strong-willed, she's adventurous, but then she also is quite sensitive and she's quite... Um, I don't know what the word is. She's realistic. Mm -hmm. And, but then she's also kind of romantic at times. Like, I think that Meryl Streep brought so many layers to this performance. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if she had won the Oscar for this, but because she had just won twice, like in like the course of three or four years, you know, it would make her win in this category, like very, very unlikely. But this is certainly one of Meryl's best. Um, There is. And, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Kyle. No, continue. no, go but ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say there is one big issue I have with her performance in it, which okay, is the <laughs> accent on the narration. And I get that she probably can't. I like I don't know how. I don't think she did a different accent, but when it was narrated, it felt so phony to me for some reason. Her, throughout <laughs> the whole thing, maybe when you see her, I don't know something. Something that didn't wasn't a problem for me. But anytime she came in, and I can't do it, I I would try to do it right now, but no <laughs> vocal range. But um, but it was that was brutal. I thought that the 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 I I even bet that that's probably why she lost the Oscar, the, the best <laughs> actress. If she just didn't narrate it, I think it would be. <laughs> Really? I mean, I don't know if I noticed that. I found it to be consistent. There was one moment that I did notice that her accent, her tone was off. Mm-hmm. Um, she, It's whenever she goes back to, let's say, the bank or the loan officer because she needs an extension on mm-hmm. uh, her loan for the farm. And she gets an extension by one year when she's having the conversation with that man her voice comes down here. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, like, where did that come from? And then in the next scene, you know, it's completely back to normal. That was really the only thing that, like, I noticed. But, like, for me, like, I have no idea what a Danish accent sounds like. It's I'm assuming it's, yeah. like, German. Because uh, at one point, she does have to travel to East Africa to the German camp border during the First World War to bring supplies which is of course a sign of her like bravery and like her sense mm-hmm. of like strong-willed independence and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's around the time whenever she finds out that she gets syphilis from Broer <laughs> and then as a result, like she can't have children anymore. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of beats <laughs> in this movie. I actually totally forgot about that element of it. For yeah. There's so, there's so much going on that it's kind of difficult to pick out one moment exactly where, it was like, that was the Oscar moment because Meryl Streep uh, really brought a lot of complexity to a very diverse, uh, complex character Mm -hmm. and really brought her to life. Like there wasn't one moment where I was doubting that she was Karen Blixen and I'm like, Oh, there's Meryl. Like it was, she really was this person. And um, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't really know enough about a Denmark accent. (laughs) I have no idea what that sounds like. I'm going to assume she nailed it because she's, yeah amazing at accents so yeah, maybe what i'm saying is just an indictment of the denmark accent <laughs> as it exists <laughs> like and i don't mean to do that but that probably that might be what my my bias is is that i just think right. that sounds uh silly or something i don't know but 
it all it, but whenever you start to as a person that has watched so many movies for this podcast <laughs> i'm starting to lose the magic filter of movies and now yeah. all i see is the acting <laughs> that sort of sounds depressing kyle it is because it's like the the magic doesn't work on me anymore where really? i could just get totally lost in it it's like i'm very aware now that i'm watching an actor wow that, yeah that what do you when you sit down to just watch a movie are you just done with movies now just for pure enjoyment or i guess but it's just sort of that same sort of thing where you find out that santa claus isn't real where you're <laughs> do you know what i mean where you're like you're disappointed but you're like eh, it makes sense yeah like, yeah now you're you're like performing watching movies for your listeners yeah. like they're your children yeah. being like they enjoy it so <laughs> yeah like um smile yeah exactly i mean uh i'm i'm a hero uh this is this is for them uh but i think for me the maybe the oscar moment for me if i had to single out a moment was whenever she had to like get on her knees mm-hmm. and she was be- begging the king or duke or whatever he was the guy with the biggest hat the guy with the biggest hat and mustache (laughs) and and she was like begging for help financially with her situation because everything and she had come under hardship and it was completely out of her control Mm -hmm. so maybe that was like her oscar moment or at least for me it was i guess yeah and there's something that is like very uh like you know she is this confident brave some sort of tough woman the whole time and then she has to like beg this man for something but she still does it in a sort of there's still something so like um she like maintain like keeps that sort of bravery in it and like the mm-hmm. in just accepting what she has to do at that moment and doing it you know yeah like she brings like a sense of integrity to yes it. yeah definitely that's a good I, oscar moment yeah no i i i agree with you i mean <sighs> I can't sit here and pick apart like everything because truly there were just so many beats Mm -hmm. going on in this movie, but like she just, it's Meryl Streep demonstrating that she can carry an epic movie with this sense of effortlessness Mm -hmm. and she can just lose herself in the role and lose herself in the character. And it's just a masterclass of acting. And I just think it's so funny to me that some of these performances this year are even in the same category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a really good point. And they also uh, just, just uh, um, they made a great artistic decision of not showing the plane crash, which they could have learned <laughs> <laughs> from uh, sweet dreams could have learned. Yeah. <laughs> Cause when they, they just reuse the scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> like stock footage just <laughs> yeah uh, that was that was uh that was good and artful i thought they were going to like when when because that was another one where i like i read and i i was trying not to spoil it for myself but i did by accident because i at a certain yeah. point i just got caught up in reading it as i was watching it and then i saw that there was a plane crash it's like oh no another one and then <laughs> then when i saw him there is a shot where he is flying in the plane and I was like, not again, not going to do this fake, you know, but no, they just sort of have uh, her weird husband, friends with benefits guy comes in and tells her. <laughs> and, and that's another, that was another good moment too, I think, like where she 
because she handles it so quietly and just like shakingly lights up a cigarette. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of other things about this movie. I don't know if this is true, but I read that Audrey Hepburn was originally offered the role of Karen Blixen. Maybe that was whenever he was like in the initial phases of wanting to get funding and stuff like maybe like back in the sixties or something. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but you know, whatever. Um, Meryl Streep was extremely nervous throughout the hair washing scene uh, because she was very close to um, a hippopotamus, which are known to be very territorial and very dangerous. Um, Wow. That's crazy. The pilot, when the flamingos take flight, was Sir Henry Dalrymple White, which that sounds so made up. <laughs> Darl Wimple White, a British baronet and former World War II pilot who moved to Kenya in the 1940s, and he flew until he was 80. I think that's kind of the best shot is whenever they go over the, the flamingos. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidney Pollock initially never considered Meryl Streep for the role of Karen Blixen as he figured that she wasn't sexy enough. Ugh. <laughs> Streep landed the part by showing up for uh, her meeting with the director wearing a low-cut blouse and a push-up bra. Oh, the things that women had to do. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> She's, like, the best actress. And I know. that's what it came down to. Man, but you know what? Yeah. Wow, that's... I don't think I could have, <laughs> have a lot of... That's that's insane to me. I'm very uh, uh, I've lived a sheltered life, so there's a lot uh, a lot of this stuff. Uh, I probably isn't new to me, but hearing that is crazy, and it makes sense. I guess that's welcome to the '80s. Yeah, so it's like if the '60s was one giant cup of whiskey, the '70s was one long cigarette, and the 1980s was one giant like sexual harassment lawsuit that's oh, where we're going with this thematically she is okay. sort of well, there is a, there is some uh uh like she's a pro in knowing that that's what she had to do like you know what i mean like oh, she yeah. shouldn't have to I don't, i'm trying to be yeah. conscious of what i'm saying here but there's something where you're like to that where she's like she she figured it out nailed it and then showed the world that she's doesn't shouldn't have to do that i guess yeah, that's how you play the game. You know, it's really unfortunate. And me, I'm sure they cut to me wearing a push-up bra on my next day. <laughs> well, that's how most people get like serving jobs at restaurants. But really? I digress. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. So anyway, just for time's sake, let's just move yep, on. Yep. So, um, let us talk about Whoopi Goldberg in the movie The Color Purple. So this is where the controversy mm. of this year comes in because everybody. So this movie was nominated for 11 Oscars and it didn't win a single one. Steven Spielberg was not nominated for Best Director because they just felt that um, he was the master of these like summer blockbusters. You have E.T., you have Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you have Jaws, you have Indiana Jones. And they didn't want to crown him as being a prestige, dramatic director as well. So they kind of snubbed him there just like they snubbed him for Jaws. Um, This is the second time that a movie was nominated 11 times and it had zero wins the first was the turning point which we had discussed earlier in this podcast for anybody listening that's a very good episode you should check it out i picked Anne bancroft as my winner for that spoiler alert and um this was yeah so this was steven spielberg's first furious serious uh film this was Whoopi goldberg's first feature film and oprah's as well um in the opening scene of the movie whenever celia is giving birth the sounds of the baby is actually the sounds of steven spielberg's first baby being born 
and he used the sounds of the, the of his own baby crying uh, because he couldn't be there to film that scene, and he got his assistant director to film it for him. So the way that he could insert his touch into that was by using the sounds of his own baby crying. Um, this was the first time that three black performances, three black performers, were nominated at the exact same time. Uh, this was also the first time that two black performers were nominated in the same category, uh, which was Margaret Avery and Oprah Winfrey in the supporting category. Uh, Shaka Khan and Tina Turner were both offered the role of Suge Avery. And the scene where Sophia, which is Oprah's character, uh, the speech at the dinner table um, near sort of the end, whenever Celie decides to leave uh, Albert, Danny Glover, uh, that whole scene was actually completely ad-libbed. And um yeah, and then at the end of that scene, um, Whoopi Goldberg came over, hugged her, and said, congratulations, you're an actor now, which frankly seems really condescending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so very quickly, The Color Purple is a Black Southern woman struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father and others over four decades. And basically, that is Whoopi Goldberg's character, Celie who gets separated from her sister at the beginning because of Danny Glover, because he tries to rape her. And she's like, um, no. And then he's like, you go away. And Danny Glover is this abusive alcoholic piece of shit. And basically Celie, um, has nobody in her life that loves her. It's a very dark, heavy movie. And, um, this performance was, um, People very likely weren't going to give Whoopi an Oscar for this movie because she was. So, this was her first feature film. They didn't know what to expect for her. And also she was known as a comedian. She had won the Grammy for uh, Best Comedy Recording. She was the first woman to ever do that. The first was Lily Tomlin. And um, the first stand-up, though, to do it was actually Kathy Griffin because Whoopi Goldberg always said for her entire career that she was never a stand-up comedian, but that she was like a... Um, comedic actress mm -hmm. so I guess it would fall more in the line of like one woman show sketch right. and so as a result of that people didn't take her seriously but then this movie comes out which is a prestige drama that she knocks out of the park I think people wanted to reward her with a nomination but the win would be very unlikely that being said a movie where the subject matter is predominantly of people of color when the voting academy is like 99% white people, mm. it's very unlikely that this would be something that they would award statues to. Yeah. And during the time, a lot of um, black critics and black communities felt that this movie was offensive to black people. And so you had this struggle of, well, then if we vote for this movie for an Oscar, then we are being racist. And then, there's so many different conversations. And listen, we're not going to get into it. That's a different podcast. This is not a history lesson, but I'm just mentioning it for the sake of context. But that being said, um, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, have you seen The Color Purple? And uh, what did you think about Whoopi's performance as Celie? I thought uh, Whoopi did great. This is the first time I saw it. I, um, yeah, again, this is, I mean, another just like, just <laughs> movie about how, how sad a woman's life was in uh in the 1980s or whenever this was took place but man it was um yeah it was uh it was really uh yeah yeah like so heavy so many heavy things and some of them that they just sort of rolled over like like mm -hmm. you said like so much rape right off the top 
Yeah. But then they they sort of like the thing they get hooked on is the hitting, and like obviously that's bad too. But it's like weird that the rape seems fine, and then the hitting is the thing that they're like, yeah, but we're gonna put our foot down for that. So it's just it really is like a lot. There's a lot to process, and then um, I think Whoopi did amazing. The thing that I thought was crazy about it though is that it's all these serious things, and then the soundtrack was like. I found it playful pardon like almost playful yeah it was like yeah like comedic like do, 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 do. yeah i know during these horrible horrible things and then you know like i i don't know if that whose choice that was quincy jones yeah. <laughs> what a weird that was so so that took me out of it a little bit but in a probably a good way where i was relieved to find something to laugh about in the madness of this <laughs> It was maybe it was a choice because it was such heavy subject matter that there had to be like a hopefulness to the music because Celie is a survivor. Yeah. And because in the movie, you know, she's quiet, she's obedient, she's broken down, but you can tell that she's intelligent, even mm-hmm. though she's incredibly meek. Um, there's also like a there's like a gay storyline between her and Suge mm-hmm. that um, Steven Spielberg actually later on recently said that he regrets not exploring that more, but he just felt for the time in history exploring, not only like a prestige drama about people of color, but then also having like a queer storyline would really lose audiences, which honestly for the eighties, fair enough. Um, Like I, I understand the, the hesitation there um, because we are as of like literally five years ago, only like, yeah, it's fine to be gay now. Like, it's all good. Like, that's new. Like, straight guys being nice to me, like, that's new. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm being totally sincere when I say that. Like, we, it's pathetic. But, like, I remember Andrew Johnston, also a comedian, he had said he had this thing because there was um, an employee at Yuck Yucks, um, which for anybody listening is like a garbage comedy Mm -hmm. chain. Uh, there was somebody that died and we loved him because he was so nice. His name is Fred Mundy. And I remember Andrew Johnston described it as um, he treated gay people with humanity before it was cool to do that. Really? And, wow. And when Andrew said that, I was like, yes, that is such a thing. That's not a thing anymore. But like everyone being nice to gay people, that's like a five. That's that's new. Mm. And so Steven Spielberg's hesitation in the 80s, yeah. especially presenting a story of people of color. I understand that. Anyway, I completely digress. I'm sorry for going on. A no, no, no. That's <laughs> so interesting. And you're right. That's such a weird area of like yeah you don't want to it's so weird to make a choice and be have to be like to have to make that choice is the problem but to like what is the right decision when he's like trying to showcase this story about people of color like yeah i mean now i mean i wonder if they'll ever do a remake or something and really sort of uh explore they are yeah they are with um, they are uh yeah with uh taraji p henson I don't know who that is. She is in Hidden Figures. She's oh, in... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she's in... Uh, oh, God. She was in Hustle and Flow. She's in... Uh, what was the Curious Case of Benjamin Button? Okay, she's in, okay. Well, anyway, well, we're getting off topic here, but let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about Whoopi for yeah. a second. So all of the abuse 
physical, mental, everything. And, and um, Danny Glover taking everything away from her, her, her sister, the only person that ever loved her, the letters that she yeah. sends. And just the way that she has, Whoopi has this sort of tenacity of just to survive and to get by. But then in the end, you find out that she still longs for Suge and how that never really goes anywhere. And she does end up never having like a, a romantic love with someone. Mm-hmm. But then in the end, Danny Glover's character, Albert, uses the mo- the little bit of money that he has to help um, Celie's family in Africa to come back. And that's kind of like his gift slash, let's say, apology to her. And you see him in the field. And I swear to God, this was the only part that made me laugh. He kind of looks over and waves. And I like his body language was like, so we're cool. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, finally, this story of of this character's redemption is complete. Yeah. I, because I think the way that the 1980s story was trying to frame him was that he was also a victim of circumstance because he was a black man in the South, like in the, in the 1800s and then up until like the early 1900s. And so he comes from abuse and the things that he faced and he's also a victim of circumstance. And I'm like, okay, I understand that, but it doesn't change the fact that he was a fucking monster. Like, oh God. Yeah. And like on so many different, like, like that is so, cause they, they sort of tried to do that in sweet dreams too, where there's that scene with, with uh, go, like go back to Charlie Dick when he's in prison and he reveals that he like saw his dad shoot himself in the head. Right. And then it's like, yeah, it doesn't excuse what he did, but you're, you have a little bit of like, Oh, this guy's messed up. But I don't think any amount of messing up can cover violence, rape, and child abuse. Like, like, it's too many things. You got too many things going on, Albert. Oh, I know. It, it's it's a it's had really heavy subject matter, and it's not until you see that she has her own like tailoring shop and she inherits the farm mm-hmm. in the end, and you can see how much she's she's grown. But I like the way that you can still see, and I like the way that she still longs for Suge. I like the way that she still is kind of this sad figure because realistically this type of life and her circumstance, you never really bounce back from that. You never are going to be like this super joyful, happy person all of a sudden, because at the end of the day, like she's had one of the hardest lives that you could imagine. And I'm glad that she grew and she eventually um, had her own sense of agency and, she overcame those hardships, but at the end of the day, like she still is wearing her scars. And yeah. I like that it ended that sort of way. Yeah, totally. And I love uh, Oprah's character in this too. Like Sophia. Sophia. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was great. Like I love, I think that my, one of the funniest, yeah. Like one of the like nice light scene sort of light there's moments of levity that's what i'll say i don't think there's a whole scene in this movie that could be described as light but the the moment where like for whatever reason i don't really get the logic of it but celia told what's his name harbo or whatever like the the guy the guy that was harpo yeah to uh to hit um sophia and then you see sophia come and she has like a a black eye which is unfortunate but then it cuts immediately to harpo's face and he has a way worse black eye 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment and that whole dynamic of Sophia's character. Well, she really probably should have won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar and um, Angelica Houston won. Mm-hmm. And apparently Oprah like never forgave her for that and never would allow her to come on her show. <laughs> never forgave her for that? Like, is it... Yeah, was it her choice. That seems I don't know unnecessarily spiteful, to be honest. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I think uh, the way that Whoopi Goldberg plays uh, Celia in such a, a a a meek, shy, quiet way, you have extreme sympathy for her. But mm-hmm. then, when in the end, after all the time has passed, and she very calmly mm-hmm. tells the truth at the dinner table to Albert, and she tells the kids how garbage they were and how difficult Albert made her life and the way she stands up to him in this sort of quiet way. It does get violent at one point, understandably so. And just the way that her character stands up for herself, she stands up for in the way that Celie would not in like a big explosive way, you know, and um, there's just really fantastic acting going on. And it's uh, truly Whoopi Goldberg's um, finest performance. And, uh, just for time's sake, though, I do think yeah. that we do need to move on. But would you like to add something um, specific to Whoopi Goldberg's performance before we do move on? No, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah, the only other thing I'd say is the the whoever played young Sealy was also really great. I thought, but anyways, yeah. yeah let's let's get to the <laughs> the headliner. Oh yes, the headliner, right? But before we do, one last uh, when Miss Millie is driving like a lunatic, and she has this giant car, and she's this hysterical white woman recklessly driving and putting everybody's danger in life. Uh, That is supposed to be for comedic value of the movie. And I'm like, that's not comedy. That's literally just living in the suburbs. Like with white women with giant SUVs that they can't handle. That's that's where I come from. And like, that's very familiar territory. Good Good that you got to see some of your own representation. That is, that was exactly, that was my, that was my culture. Yeah. It was, it was nice to see some of my culture. (laughs) Okay. So let us talk. Oh dear God. I'm okay. I'm excited. and also (laughs) dreading talking about our headliner. Let's talk about, Geraldine Page playing Carrie Watts in the movie The Trip to Bountiful. So, couple of facts. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, Geraldine Page became the first person to win an Oscar and an Independent Spirit Award for the same movie, which when I read that, I thought, uh uh-oh. Horton Foote at first would not allow another film version of his play because he didn't want anybody to play Carrie, uh, who is uh, Geraldine Page's character, Uh, except for Lillian Gish, but he later agreed that he would let somebody else play it if it was Geraldine Page or um, Kim Stanley, and then obviously it went to Geraldine Page. Um, The... uh, No, we've already discussed that. That's good. So in this movie, very quickly, Geraldine Page plays um, a woman at the end of her life with a heart condition that must get to Bountiful, Texas, which is where she is from, one last time before she dies, and everybody refuses to allow her this one thing in her life. It is on. And I think the way to put this movie in perspective for anybody that doesn't, that has never seen it, it is a free movie on Tubi. (laughs) So I think that that just is is a very profound description of how the quality of this film. It is clearly 
based on a play. Yes. It is clear. There are so many things about this movie that are so boring that literally are said for no reason. There's so much back story that is irrelevant to the plot. By the way, she doesn't die in the end of the movie, which I thought would be the ending. I thought that would have been more effective because then it would have been more symbolic because bountiful meant returning to home because home never leaves you. It's a metaphor. I get it. But there was just a lot of ineffective things that were going on here. That being said, I understand why Geraldine Page's performance was singled out, but I'm very aware that I'm watching a stage actor and I'm very aware that this is based on a play. The reason why she won this Oscar, in my opinion, was because she was nominated eight times and she had actually died a year and a half after winning this. So everyone kind of thought, okay, we got to give her this Oscar. She's earned it. She's a legend. Right. It's time to give her her moment in the sun. And I'm glad that she did eventually have that moment. But that's not what this podcast is about. We are literally going to just talk about Geraldine's Geraldine Page's performance. My first thing that I have to say is that she's kind of cute the way that she's very um, mischievous yeah. in a very dysfunctional sort of family dynamic and that she kind of she, – she flies the coop, gets on a bus, and, and is hiding from her family – but when she is on the bus and she is talking to <laughs> Southern strangers, she goes on these long, unnecessary monologues, revealing way too much to a stranger that she met half a sip of a wine cooler ago. And then she starts bawling her eyes out in front of a complete stranger. And I'm like, okay, honey, you are at a 12. If I was on, if I was on a Greyhound bus and the person sitting next to me started crying, I would literally just text my family goodbye and jump out the window. That is no thank you. That is like good acting. I'm not saying it's not good acting. I'm saying that there are so many annoying things about this movie and character, and it just made for a very boring film and kind of an annoying performance. Now, mm-hmm. I've said my piece. Mm-hmm. What did you think about Geraldine Page's performance in The Trip to Bound? I loved this work of art. It, <laughs> I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. Okay. I still agree with everything you said, <laughs> but I found it such authentically, such an authentic depiction of a mother. Like, like it, it, it feels like a story my mom would tell me okay. when I'm like trying to head out the door and do something. She's like, "Yeah, just one quick thing," and then talks for two hours with right. alternating between laughing and crying. All of her own <laughs> she and so so much casual, such casual um, morbidity. Like it'll just just mm-hmm. people will just die, or she'll find out about death, or mention death with such ease that it, it sort of makes your skin crawl. That's something else my mom does. Is it'll just be like, yeah, you'll be talking about nothing. Like oh, I went to the post office today. Do you know uh, uh, Aunt Linda died? Do you know about that? Anyways, she died, and I saw you know like. And so I think that for, I had to like, I had to sort of go to a different place in my head for the, after the first couple of minutes, I was sort of like, this movie is not made for me, but who is it made for? And I think once I assumed that position, I enjoyed, I loved this movie. Oh my God. That's really funny because I wouldn't exactly describe this story as like a high stakes plot. (laughs) Like it was literally just, I need to go to Bountiful. So she goes to Bountiful (laughs) And that's it. That is truly mm. it. But you know what? That, that's 
Like, <laughs> The, there's no, there's really not a lot of conflict. There's, she doesn't die. Nope. I thought maybe she and uh, what what was the name of of uh, Jesse May, Jessie the Mayer. the daughter in law? I thought, oh, they're gonna have yes. it out. No, nope. <laughs> like, there was just so many things that I thought we were going in that direction, and then they were like, no, like we hate conflict so we're just gonna throw in it like more monologues and like do you remember when she mentioned that like her daughter died Mm -hmm. yeah what did what did that have to do with the plot because then she was like oh you're you're so lovely i wish that you were my daughter because she'd be just like you (laughs) and you're like okay and then she catches the the little blonde girl the young one she catches the bus and then she leaves yeah and I'm like, was that a device to have closure about the death of your de- what? Like there was just yeah. so many weird script choices. Which, by the way, this movie was nominated for best writing. What I I it what I swear to God, I literally I hated this movie. Did not That's like it. So funny. See, but that that I think is what I because like. I want to. I want to be clear. My mom is great. I love my mom, <laughs> but she will. This is the kind of story she'll tell. And over the years, I I used to be so like, I would be like, you know, get frustrated. Like, mom, can you just hurry up and tell me, you know, whatever. And I I've gotten to a right, place where right. I try to be a lot more patient. And so I switched sure. to that mindset. And then then things like that make sense because if you're, you know, my mom always will tell stories where she mentions something and then it goes, it doesn't go anywhere. Just a, a long tangent that has nothing to do with the main plot of whatever she's telling me, and so the like the you're right that woman on the bus that was like a sweet character for her. You're like, oh well, she'll yeah. probably come back and help her when she's you know destitute in this town and just found out her her only friend from Bountiful died and whatever. She'll come back around and be like, get in the car, we're going to Bount. You know, nope, she's gone. Yeah. She's just gone. Yeah, and then, but then her son ends up going to the fucking house in Bountiful. I'm like, why did we need to do that to this poor woman? Because she clearly is a very lovely woman, and she is very. She's making you breakfast, and like you're making her sleep on the couch. Like this is totally. She has a heart. Like I, I couldn't understand the dysfunctional family dynamic where they were very much like get into your cage. Like it was very weird, and like. She also committed no crime, by the way, and she was held captive by the police at the bus station. She's a free woman. She can do whatever she wants. Like, there's no... She doesn't belong to a home. She does not belong to a nurse. There is no reason, legally, why she would be held captive. And then... And then... And then she starts having these long, repetitive monologues that are a dead end. How about the trip to the dead end? Like, that's what the movie... It was... This movie was so frustrating, but okay, let's talk. But if we're just talking about Geraldine Page's performance, she was very likable, very cute, very fun, very mischievous. Very, she was always running instead of walking. Yeah. Very, almost like a childlike yes. sort of energy. And I'm sure right off the top, like when she like bangs her fists on the couch, you know, yeah. wraps her head in the blanket, like yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that the the academy was not used to seeing this kind of performance for her. She clearly they're probably rewarding her range, they're rewarding her career. I understand why she won, but if we are just singling out this one performance, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> this was Bad. I hated this movie. I would never watch this again. And frankly, if I didn't have to watch this for the podcast, if anybody, (laughs) if you don't have to see this movie, don't. (laughs) I, yeah. And, and you are right that about the ending where you expect her to die. And it's one of the weirdest things I've ever felt where I'm like, this would be a happier ending if she died. Like, it's so sad that she just has to go back to her cage at the end. And that's the whole thing is there's no, like, I thought maybe the sun was going to break up with the Jesse May woman or something and try to, you know, same. I don't know, but nope, none of that. Just let's get back in the car and have a weird drive. (laughs) Nothing really got resolved. It, or it did, but like in a subtle symbolic way. She touched the dirt. Like that was the big yes. that was the big <laughs> reward at the end is she laid down and put her hands in the dirt like she wanted to. And credits. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that was it. Oh my lord. Okay, well. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Geraldine's, uh, Gerald, Geraldine Page's performance uh, before we select our winner who we think the Oscars should have gone to? Hmm. Uh, the hymns annoyed me, I think. Yes. And I and that was the only time where I'm like, Jesus Christ, maybe Jesse May was on to something because this, yeah, I this is driving me crazy. Just Well, because she was at the bus station and she was like, isn't it lovely whenever you can just sing <laughs> hymns whenever you want? And then the girl looking at her was like, okay, bitch, like you need, you need to stop. Yeah. This will be, yeah, your last trip to Bountiful. Yeah. For sure, that was crazy. Uh, no, I but I, I think that um, I think that I'm on the same page with you about her performance. It's just that I I feel like it was uh, in line with what a story by moms for moms was supposed to be. Like I feel like there's a certain type of mom that would watch that <laughs> and feel represented and be like, yes, finally. <laughs> an erratic mischievous old woman on screen good that's me absolutely um okay so uh you are my guest so please reveal who you think that the oscar should have gone to i think that the oscar should have gone to Meryl Streep. It's got to be Meryl Streep, unfortunately. Even though I didn't like the accent, it's just head and, head and shoulders better acting than anybody else. If we're actually picking for acting, I think right. Meryl Streep. I think Whoopi Goldberg did incredible, but it was uh, it, like it was sort of, to me, uh, just sort of um, kind of yeah, just wasn't as good as the range that Meryl Streep uh, gave in her performance. I agree with you. Like you can clearly tell Meryl Streep is like acting circles around these nominees. It's like a masterclass in a performance in an epic. And this is really her, like at the height of her career. Like I totally, I totally see why you would select Meryl. Mm -hmm. What about you? Um, Okay. Okay, great. So, okay. So I will go ahead. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to... 
Whoopi Goldberg for the color purple. Although I do agree with you that Meryl Streep really brought like a master class of acting um, into this character and made it so real. I think the character in all of these nominated performances that I cared about the most uh, and found the most um, compelling and the one that I was rooting for the most was Celie. And so for me, it's Whoopi because like I was at the end of the movie, I was bawling my fucking eyes out where at the end of Out of Africa, I was bawling because I was happy it was over. <laughs> so you're just kind of like, you're, I had to pause that damn movie so many goddamn times. I was like, oh, when will this end? Like amazing acting. I'm not saying it's not amazing acting. It's just, I've seen the movie before. So yeah. it's like less powerful on me. So for me, um, I just found that um, Whoopi's direction that she received from Steven Spielberg was absolutely perfect. And I, the whole movie, I'm just like bawling my eyes out and you're happy for her at the end. But then it's like kind of like um, you're kind of a little conflicted because you're also sad for her still. And I think that that's a very powerful thing as, as well. Um, so for me, it's Whoopi, but like, obviously Meryl Streep was like a hard second yeah. and Geraldine Page <laughs> would be third. And then, uh, I suppose I would add in, uh, another hard second. There is, um, Steven Spielberg's daughter for the crying baby, because yes. it was very <laughs> believable. He did excellent directing on that one, I think. Absolutely. Okay, that's so fantastic. Mace Galoni, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Where can people find you on social media? Just uh, uh, my name, Mace Galoni, on Instagram, and uh, that's probably the best place. I also have TikTok, but, uh, you know, it's just stand-up clips. So, what? yeah, you could Google me. Mace, Mace Galoni at live.ca is my email. What other info <laughs> would you like? Yeah, send him some fan mail. Yeah. Some, send him some, <laughs> some tasteful news. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. We'll definitely have you back again. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye.